purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Sally Fallon Morrell, is a leading voice for a return to the traditional foods of our ancestors. She's the founding president of the Nutrition Education Nonprofit Weston A. Price Foundation and is the editor of the foundation's quarterly journal, Wise Traditions. She's the author of many books, including the best-selling cookbook, Nourishing Traditions. She's on Health Watch today to talk about her latest book, co-authored with nutritionist Kayla T. Daniel, Nourishing Broth an old-fashioned remedy for the modern world, the definitive cookbook that can help you treat symptoms of autoimmune disorders, infectious disease, digestive problems, and other chronic ailments. Welcome to Health Watch, Sally fallon Morell. Oh, thank you, David. I'm very happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about um, what prompted you and Kayla to, to write a book about broth. <laughs> well, as you know, both Kayla and I had written about broth before. I wrote about it in Nourishing Traditions and which I think was the first popular book to suggest that uh, broth was really healthy for you. And then Kayla wrote a couple of articles about the science of broth, which are on our website, westonaprice.org. Well, what happened was an agent came to us and suggested that we do a book called Nourishing Broth. She herself had been helped very much. Uh, her health had improved with broth. So we just thought that was a great idea. Um, a wonderful opportunity, really, to get the science out there. And that's the part that Kayla wrote, and she did a terrific job. Well, well, tell us a little bit about the history of broth, because a lot of people, when they think broth, they might be thinking of bouillon cubes or other things that they can make a quick broth with. Um, How is what you're discussing different historically, and, and how did that change come about? Yes, well... I don't, you can go as far back as recorded history to find people making broth. Uh, certainly it's part of the European tradition, the African tradition. Surprisingly, even Native Americans made broth. Uh, they cooked up bones and they thought it was healthier to drink broth than water. And of course, in the Asian tradition, you find broth is like the, you know, basis of the diet practically. So for thousands and thousands of years, people have been cooking bones or almost cooking them by accident because they would just throw pieces of meat into a pot and cook them, and they'd get the benefits of the bones. And then what we have in Europe is the tradition that the stock or broth is the basis of delicious cooking with Lescoffier. He said you can't do anything without stock. And there there was this whole uh, mystique and protocol built up around making sauces out of broth. And soups. So uh, what happened was, in the early 1900s, um, the food industry figured out how to imitate this taste, and uh, th- that the way they imitate it is with MSG. So what we've seen um, over the last hundred years, shall we say, is uh, all these processed foods that have the taste of broth, but they didn't have to go to the trouble of making broth. Uh, so that's. That's kind of the situation we're in today, except that thanks to this book and a lot of wonderful chefs, broth, uh, real broth is making a comeback. So when someone goes to the restaurant and, and 
it says that there's homemade soup or homemade broth, it is possible that they're getting something made with MSG or with some other instant product that doesn't have the the necessary elements of a, a true broth. Right. So if you see that on the menu, homemade soup, the question you ask is, is this soup homemade with real bones or is it homemade with a base? And the base is a powder that comes in a can that they just uh, mix with water and add some chopped vegetables or whatever to make the soup. So if, it's, if they say it's made with a base, that means it's made with this um, MSG-laden powder. But I find that more and more uh, restaurants are making soup with bones, especially some of the more expensive restaurants. And surprisingly, the hotels, uh, typically in a big hotel, you'll find the soup has been made with bones. So there's always been a folk wisdom that broth has a lot of health benefits. Bone broths have a lot of health benefits, and they're held in high esteem in a cross-culture like you mentioned. What science do we have that this actually is true at this point? Well, that's, that's what's really interesting about this book. Now, we don't have a lot of studies. In fact, we have hardly any studies where people actually studied broth. But we do have lots of studies about the components of broth. And uh, doctors have used the components of broth um, in many ways. So the main component of broth is collagen because that's what melts into the broth. The bones melt a little bit. We get a little bit of calcium, a little bit of minerals, but what really melts into the broth is the collagen. And the collagen, your body then takes that collagen or the components of that collagen and makes its own collagen. It just helps your body do that. It's not that your body um, can't do it without uh, taking broth, but it's much easier for your body if you're drinking broth or using broth in some way. Now, you have collagen all over your body, not just in your joints and tendons and sinews, uh, but you have collagen in your organs. You have collagen in your eyes, for example. The entire small intestine is lined with a layer of collagen, and when that collagen is good and strong, you have uh, gut integrity, and this explains why broth is so helpful for things like leaky gut. And I think what appeals most to people is that you have a layer of collagen right under your skin, <clears throat> and broth can nourish that collagen, keep it, uh, keep it with good integrity, so to speak, so that your skin, uh, you know, looks nice and is, doesn't get a lot of wrinkles or whatever. And that's one of these um, traditions about broth, that it gives you healthy skin. Well, also, I would imagine you say collagen's not just in the joints, but we often think of collagen in joints also, and, and people who are taking either cartilage supplements or glucosamine and chondroitin, that perhaps a bone broth would actually be a better, more wide-spectrum approach. Exactly, because these supplements are just taking one component of the collagen. But with, with the broth, you get it all, and of course, it's much less expensive. <laughs> well, and the beautiful thing about broth, David, is that it's not just something you can sip out of a cup, but you use it to make gravy and sauce and soups and stews. So it's a very delicious way of getting your nutrition. Well, you mentioned less expensive, too. A lot of times we have people come on the show uh, to talk nutrition, and some of the nutritional choices are more expensive. But a lot of these things that are required for a broth are often things that are, that are cast away and would be quite cheap at the butcher's shop. 
Exactly, exactly. I mean, whenever we make chicken, we save all the bones and put them in Ziploc bags. Of course, it's pretty scary when you open your freezer <laughs> and see all these bones. But after you've eaten a couple of chickens, you have enough bones to make your broth. And uh, otherwise, as you say, they would just be thrown away. So the basic ingredient for your broth is free. So what are there particular bones or particular parts of animals that should be used uh, as the base of a broth versus others? Or does it really not make that much of a difference? Well, to me, the secret ingredient is feet, <laughs> because there's a lot of collagen, there's a lot of gelatin in feet. And what you want is a broth that's going to be jelly-like when you put it in the refrigerator. That's a sign that it's just loaded with all these components of collagen. Now, you, you can make broth without the feet, and it just won't gel as well. But I have found that, to me, the secret weapon, so to speak, is a pig's foot. And I'll put that in any kind of broth I'm making, beef, chicken, whatever. And um, I, also, it's really great is chicken feet, but it's hard to get them. But the pig's foot, you can find in almost any market. And then I would imagine, because you're using feet, as, as you say, you're getting a higher amount of cartilage, a higher amount of collagen, that exactly. you're going to get a translation into more health benefits. Exactly. What you want is something that's jelly-like in the refrigerator. It wiggles. And, and, <laughs> and, so, and you, you get that when you use the feet. Is, that, is there a health difference, Sally, between doing that and using marrow bones? Is there something particular to marrow that is beneficial to people when they're making a broth? Well, the marrow bones don't have a lot of uh, cartilage on them, but they have that wonderful marrow. And the marrow itself has many interesting qualities, some of which are particularly good for neurological function. So, yes, use the marrow bones, too. In fact, uh, marrow bones is a great way to thicken a stew. Uh, we often make stew in the slow cooker, and we put some marrow bones in there, and when that marrow comes out, it actually thickens the sauce. So, yes, there's a, you know, it's a good idea to include the marrow bones, but they're not the kind of bones that will make your stock get jelly-like. So let's talk a little bit more about the ways in which a bone broth could be beneficial for people with digestive complaints. You, you mentioned leaky gut, and I know in a lot of cultures when people are ailing, they're given broths because they're easily digestible. What other, what other uh, digestive issues would you consider good ones for people to, to make broths with? You know, broth is helpful for all kinds of digestive issues, uh, starting with leaky gut. And one explanation for that is that it provides a collagen for this collagen lining of your gut. There are other, uh, you know, we don't have all the reasons that might help the um, a glutamine in broth it seems to be very helpful for digestion and for the gut. The, uh, the fact that broth is a, a gelatin, a gel, um, there's an old theory by a man named Francis Pottinger that when we eat food, um, if you've got this gelatin with your food, that it attracts all the digestive juices and helps you digest things much more thoroughly and much more easily. So that's, that's another explanation for why broth is good for you. I know that in some of these special diets for people with leaky gut or autism, things like that, the broth is the number one thing they do. They pretty much get off all food for a brief period and just do the broth to let the gut heal. And then they slowly add other foods. And by the way, people who have trouble with meat, I mean, I've had a lot of people tell me they can't eat meat, it um, doesn't agree with them. But I, um, I always say, well, make a soup, make some broth, 
and then just chop up a little meat into that broth, and I think you'll be very surprised that you can digest that meat very well with the broth. And then what about a concern around the way in which the animal is raised in terms of how much or how little health benefit is translated into a, into a broth? You know, we did uh, quite a bit of testing uh, for this book, and we surprisingly did not find much difference in the things we were testing for. We tested for things like lead, for example, and we didn't find that broth made with conventional chicken had more lead in it. Uh, calcium is pretty much the same with, with both types of bones. What The big difference that you see, and you'll see this when you're preparing it, for example, if you make broth with a conventional chicken, you'll get a lot of scum, a lot of foam that rises to the top, and we always suggest that you skim that off. Whereas if you make broth with a pasture-raised chicken, you will not, you'll see very, very little scum come up. And that scum is where the impurities are. Uh, it's a way of getting those impurities out because you can easily skim it off, but you definitely see a difference. The other difference I notice in making beef broth, if I'm using a pasture-raised animal, let's just say an oxtail from a pastured animal, um, I, you don't get any unpleasant smell from it, whereas making broth from bones from a supermarket, sometimes you do get a smell that's not great. Let's put it like that. In Nourishing Broth, you also talk about the difference between what you call long-cooked versus short-cooked broths. Can, can you talk a little bit about those? Well, the... Depending on the animal, uh, that, that's what determines the time. Now, chicken, uh, I pretty much do it overnight and no longer. Uh, fish broth uh, releases its gel, releases its cartilage uh, very quickly in about 40 minutes, whereas the bones from beef, for example, you would cook quite a bit longer, maybe 24 hours. And uh, then does that actually have a different effect in terms of uh, amino acids or other things that come into the broth? The only thing that's going to be higher is the uh, glutamic acid, or the glutamine, excuse me. And that's okay for most people. If Some people are extremely sensitive to it, and then so if that's the case, you would want a short-cooked broth. Did you have any favorite recipes in the book that come to mind to you that maybe you could just share briefly with, with listeners? Well, my favorite uh, recipe is a reduction sauce. So you need to have some chicken broth or beef broth on hand. And let's just say you cook a lamb chop in a frying pan. Uh, after you've cooked your lamb chop, you put it in a warm oven to keep it warm, and then you do a reduction sauce. So you would first put in some kind of alcohol like wine or brandy. Uh, let that boil for a few minutes. Then you add your stock. Uh, let that boil down. And at the end, you can add something like cream or mustard or both, and you get a beautiful reduction sauce for your lamb chop. And your book has a ton of, of different broth recipes. What sort of uh, skill set do people need to have to be able to make these in terms of really cooking? N none. I, would, I, I strongly urge people to get a slow cooker because it's so easy to make broth in a slow cooker. And we start off with these really simple recipes for the slow cooker. Uh, the easiest one is just some chicken bones, an onion, and a splash of vinegar and water. Uh, but I also include the recipes for the classic stock that have the vegetables and the herbs and so forth. And there are some classic herbs that tend to get paired with the bones, correct? Right. Well, there's the classic vegetable mix. It's called mirepoix, and that's onions, uh, carrots, and celery. 
but of course you can be very creative and use a lot of other vegetables. And then there's the classic herbs, uh, which is the uh, bouquet garni, and that's parsley, thyme, and bay leaf. Another thing I like to throw in broth is some peppercorns. Before we, we end the show today, Sally, let's, let's talk about the, the Weston A. Price Foundation, which you're the founding president of, uh, and how its philosophy is informing both nourishing traditions and nourishing broth. So the philosophy of the Weston A. Price Foundation, or the purpose of the Weston A. Price Foundation, is to return Americans to nutrient-dense foods. And that means going back to the foods of our ancestors raised the way our ancestors raised the foods. That means that the animals were on pasture and the uh, vegetables were raised in nutrient-dense soil and so forth. A key uh, teaching of ours is that we need to go back to the types of fats and oils that our ancestors used. So that's butter. They used butter. They cooked in lard. They used coconut oil. Um, These are wholesome, healthy fats, and they've been pushed out of the way in the modern diet by the industrial vegetable oils. So we teach people how these industrial oils are really quite harmful, especially over several generations. And so I would imagine it's even more crucial that someone pays attention to how an animal's being raised when they're eating eggs or meat than it is with the bone broth, as, as you said. Yes, didn't... it is. Uh, the really key thing when the animals are raised outside on pastures, you get a lot more vitamins in the fats and the organ meats. And we, of course, encourage people to eat uh, this part of the animal, especially what we call the fat-soluble vitamins. These are A, D, and K. And these were the vitamins that Dr. Price found to be extremely high in traditional diets. And, and who exactly was, was Weston Price? Yeah. Dr. Price was actually a dentist. Uh, he worked in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And he, in the summers, he would travel to remote parts of the globe to study the health of isolated so-called primitive people. And he described their diets and actually brought food samples back to his laboratory and and, um, then would analyze them for vitamin and mineral content. And he wrote a wonderful book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, uh, which is sort of our Bible. And um, all of my work has been to build on nutrition and physical degeneration and to make his work accessible to the public. And, and I know that your book, A Nourishing Broth and Nourishing Traditions, doesn't just talk about health benefits regarding digestion and skin and joints. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned autoimmune disorders and infectious diseases. Uh, can you talk about another anything else that, you, that you've seen good benefits with or, 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 for instance? On the broth? On the broths, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, uh, infectious disease, of course, this is the Jewish penicillin, <laughs> the chicken broth. And there are several reasons why it would help with infectious disease. Uh, One is that broth is very helpful for detoxification. It's very high in an amino acid called glycine, and this amino acid is the key amino acid for the liver to be able to detoxify the body. So if you are sick, and being sick is really the body's way of getting rid of toxins, uh, the broth is going to help that process and help you get over it sooner. Well, it was a pleasure having you on Health Watch today, Sally. Do you, can you point our listeners to any resources online if they're curious? Yes, yes please. Well, uh, Kayla and I do have a website called Nourishing Broth, nourishingbroth.com, uh, where we an- answer questions, where we um, keep people updated on the science. And then there's the main website of the Weston A. Price Foundation. That's uh, WestonAPrice.org. Well, it's great having you on Health Watch today. 
Thank you, David, and uh, it was a pleasure to be with you. Take care. Thank you. We've been listening to Sally Fallon, the co-author of Nourishing Broth, an old-fashioned remedy for the modern world, the definitive cookbook that can help you treat symptoms of autoimmune disorders, infectious diseases, digestive problems, and other chronic ailments. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. (laughs) 